Good evening, good evening, good evening. Welcome to Man in the Mirror with Kai and Nichelle. Today's date is February 27th, 2021. We are two months into the new year. We are two months into the new year, and we are all here safe and sound right now through the Lord Jesus Christ. So we're just thanking him tonight for that to start off. This evening, again, is special for Nichelle and I because we are, again, an honor to interview a new and special friend and a new author. That is none other than Mr. Don Wood himself, author of the best-selling book, new best-selling book entitled The Good Work. Um, this, this is where we will start. Our, this week, we'll be starting our series. Well, this month we're starting our series on the book with uh, Mr. Don. He was here last last month, and he's here this month. He will be here for the next ten months after that. Uh, ten months after that. So we will be starting chapter one today and asking questions. I'm going to ask questions and dive into what is going on with the good work and why he titled it the good work. And um, before I move on, welcome back to the show, Michelle. Thank you so much, Kai. Glad to be back. Excited for today's show. Excellent. And again, again, I, we will welcome back none other than Mr. Don Wood himself. Welcome back, Don. It's good to be here with you, Kai. And Michelle, how are you? Fantastic. Good, right. good, good, good. Before we start, um, I'll ask... Um, before we start, remember, if you have any questions or comments, please press the number one on your phone, and you'll be put in our queue, and I'll ask Michelle to start us off with prayer. Lord God, we just thank you for being here today, Lord. Lord, we ask you to bless the show, Lord God. Bless our guest, Lord Donwood. Lord, you know his heart and what he wanted to do when he put the book out, Lord God, and we just ask that you bless that mission, Lord God. Bless the vision, Lord, that those who need to get an understanding may get the understanding that they need, Lord God. Lord God, we just ask you to bless our guests, Lord God, that as they listen in today, that they might hear and understand what is being said. And, Lord, might hide that in their heart, Lord God. Take it to heart, Lord God, so that it can be a blessing to them in their life, Lord. Lord God, we ask you to even bless Kai and myself, Lord God, as we uh, do the show today, Lord. Just bless us that we might be your mouthpiece, Lord God, that we might do what you say, Lord God, in the name of Jesus. Lord God, we thank you for all things. We ask for blessings over all of those that are listening in, Lord God. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. 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 And we're going to get into it. Arthur Donwood is a retired educating educator living in Riley, uh, North Carolina. His higher education experience includes teaching business communication, publication design, journalism, and leadership at Oakwood University, Indiana University, Howard University, Virginia Tech, and Winston-Salem State University. This man has been all over the globe, ladies and gentlemen. In tonight's episode, we will be discussing Chapter 1, Born in Egypt. That's what I said, Born in Egypt. You know, many of us, we don't have that, you know, I, I couldn't even imagine living that far away or being born in Egypt. But he's going to explain to us 
I was born in Egypt, though it looked and felt a lot like Washington, D.C. Oh, okay. Long before I was born, excuse me, God planned to do a good work in my life. But even after I became a Christian, I didn't believe it. God knew he had a complicated work to do. But first, he has to rescue me from Egypt. Wow. What a way to begin a book. Egypt. And in chapter one, you actually started off um, as saying, I'm going to be reading excerpts from the book. Egypt is not a place mm-hmm. on a map. Egypt is a place of spiritual government. It's everything that shaped your life apart from God. And with that said, okay, explain to us, what are we talking about? Because I'm going to be asking you different questions about different parts of chapter one, because I highlighted it, I starred it in red, I circled in red, you know, like a workbook to me right now. So okay. we just, you know, we're going to break it down. So what did you mean by being born in Egypt? Well, one of the things that I was trying to do uh, was to kind of take a look at how God rescues people because he rescued me. And the first thing that I thought about was um, as I was looking at uh, God's commandments was his opening statement before he uh, started stating the commandments to the people at Mount Sinai. He says, you know, basically, I am the Lord, your God, who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of bondage. And I thought about my life and I realized, yeah, I've been in the house of bondage. It was a place where these people had been in slavery for over 400 years, the people of Israel. They had come to the place not to become slaves. They came to the place, they came to Egypt looking for food. They found refuge there because the the people who came to Egypt originally were uh, Joseph's brothers and Joseph's father, Jacob. They came to Egypt because the whole world was going through a famine, and that was the place where they heard that there was food. What they didn't know was that their brother Joseph, that they had sold into into slavery, had become the prime minister of Egypt, but they came down looking for food, and Joseph, in with the grace of God, took his family in, and they began to prosper uh, as a people in Egypt. But there came a point where things turned, and suddenly they found themselves slaves in that land. And it happens to us a lot too, and that is is that we go into things, situations in our lives looking for something good out of it, and ultimately we may find ourselves becoming slaves to the very things that we thought were for our good, and then ultimately we've realized I can't get out, and that's where I found myself. Wow. And many of us have felt that way before. You know, we started off something and then we end up somewhere we didn't want to be. And um, 
we said, and like you said, with the way you gave a scenario, you do feel like the Egyptians is like, you feel like the Israelites, yeah, we are here, we are slaves now, so how do we get ourselves together to get out of this? Any questions or comments, Michelle? I thought I was trying to get myself off of mute. <laughs> um, no, I'm just listening right now. You know, when I get one, I'll probably roll for minutes. I don't. <laughs> I want to start too early. Okay. Go ahead, Kyle. <laughs> okay. 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 Now, there's a part where he says, "Why are we picking on Egypt? Because you you did talk about the tale of two countries. Is is mm-hmm. there's two countries? You say there's Egypt." And just verify so our listening audience will understand, because a lot of people, um, as I'm picking through this, there's Egypt and there's the kingdom of God. Please explain that to us before we go on to the next part. Yeah. Um, You know, as I said at the very beginning, Egypt is a place of spiritual government. And we're, 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 we're facing two real kind of types of government in our lives. There's the government of the kingdom of God and the government of this figurative Egypt. And and I say figurative Egypt because we're looking at all of those things in your life that shape your life apart from God. And so we are either under the control of the government of the Egypt in our lives or of the kingdom of God. And as I said in the in the book, I said basically that the kingdom of God is a power for life and a mindset that begins now and becomes the means of getting to live with Jesus eternally. And what we're talking about here is that that the the kingdom of God is about becoming one with God, becoming one with him so thoroughly that we begin living mentally in God's better country now, not later. The object that God has for us is that he wants to instill in us and transform us to the point where we actually begin living in his kingdom Now, it's not something that's going to happen, quote, when we get to heaven. It's going to be that by the time we get to that point where Jesus comes again and receives us as his own, we will already have been living in his kingdom because his kingdom will have already been living in us. You know, think about it like what First John chapter 3 talks about. It says, Beloved, now are we the sons of God, but it doesn't yet appear what we will be. I'm paraphrasing. But we know that, that you know, we'll know him when he comes because we will be like him, because we're going to see him as he is. In other words, we're going to be like him so that when he comes, we will immediately be able to recognize who he is as the true God, because we will already have become like him because his kingdom will be living in us, and we will already be living under the government of the kingdom of God when Jesus comes. 
Amen, amen, amen. Preach, brother, preach. All right, now, we're going to, you know, and you said, why are we picking Egypt? Hmm, that's a good question. And you made this, why is Egypt the bad guy? You know, people going to look at why you, why you keep talking about Egypt? Why is Egypt the bad guy? Well, Egypt was a a, a, a a nation. I mean, it was it was. In other words, Egypt was oppressing God's people. They're seeking, like I said, they were seeking food and and help during a horrible time, and they got it. They stayed there, but then after staying there and growing from just seventy people who came there to you know hundreds of thousands maybe even a couple of million people by the time Moses led them out, they were under oppression. And the, the Egyptians' uh, government was doing everything in its power to convince the people of, of Israel and uh, that, that one, that Moses and this God that Pharaoh did not know, uh, were were nothing compared to Egypt, and Moses was tasked with the assignment of showing Pharaoh that the God of Heaven was the was the ruler of all, and that Pharaoh's uh, magicians and his forces and all of the things that that made them the world power at that time. There was no nation mightier than Egypt at that time. Egypt had a grip that could not be broken. Egypt was a nation that other nations were dependent upon. And then for this people to just decide that they are going to go and worship their own God and that they were going to leave Egypt, Pharaoh was saying, no, 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 you're not going anywhere. You belong to me. And God was saying, oh, no. We're going because they belong to me. And so Egypt represented a power that was determined to oppress and to destroy God's people. Egypt represents basically the kingdom of Satan. Egypt represents all those things that are opposed to the will of God. And so God wanted to demonstrate to his people that he had the power and the love to rescue them from the bondage that they were under in Egypt. Wow. The bad guy. Hey, hey, I'm seeing it. Now, we're going to go on through the chapter because I know uh, Michelle will tune in sooner or later. But um, I'm I'm tuning in right now. Thank you. <laughs> wow. Oh, now you decided to tune in. All right. <laughs> no, I just wanted to say I wanted to tune in right here because it's like, you know, you're you're saying it, and then it's almost like I'm picturing in our mind, like, you know, us in these chains, but it's we got we have invisible chains. So we're yeah. we're in bondage with these invisible chains right now, and and um, I can't remember what the exact wording was that you used, but um, later on in the book, it's almost like you're saying, yeah, it's like, you know, it's like when somebody is 
you know, for for those of you who may have partaken, uh, you know, you know, you get a good drink, has some alcohol in it, and and you just drinking up because it tastes good, and you don't even know what it's really doing, and that's that's how this bondage yeah. is. It's like dulling our brain is moving us further from God. It, you know, all of these things are going on, but we don't even know how yeah. you know much of a bad situation we're in. <laughs> because Satan is the master yeah. of, of taking slavery and making it taste good. Right. In other words, we make delicacies out of what kills us. Mm. Ooh, that's a... I need to retweet that somewhere. Okay. Yes, write that down, please. I mean, think about think about this for for a minute. Um, let's let's take something that a lot of people a lot of people like. People will eat all kinds of things like chitlins and stuff, right? And people love this. Um, you know, if they if they if they smell chitlins or something, they're going like, oh boy, yes indeed, soul food, whatever. But then you you know, people are, the way people deal is that we don't like to think about the things that we consume because if we thought about it for a few minutes, it would kind of horrify us as to what we're actually doing to ourselves. But we like it. You see what I'm saying? If it tastes good, it may be good to me. It may be bad for me. And so if it tastes really good and it's got me, I can't stop consuming it, then I don't want to hear about it, and I don't want to think about the fact that it's killing me. I might sit up here and eat lots of you know pork or something like this and something like chitlins, and it may taste really good, and I've you know, my family's always made it, and on special occasions, we, we're going to have it. And yet, if I stopped and thought about what it is I'm eating, I'm eating the intestines of a pig. Oh, my. Okay? And so what's happening is I'm eating, you know, think about what's in your intestines. And then think about what's in a pig's intestines. And you're saying, mm, mm, these are good. Put some hot sauce on this stuff. Yes, indeed, I love it. And then if somebody came along to you, if somebody came along to you and said, do you realize what you're eating? Do you know what that's doing to you? Eating intestines of a pig with all of the fecal matter that's in there, and you can pour Clorox on it all you want to to clean it out, but think about the fact that even after you clean it out, it still smells like intestines. But you're going to eat it because that smell signals to you that this is a delicacy. It doesn't smell bad to you anymore because it tastes so good to you. But that doesn't change the fact that this stuff is killing you. And so what happens is Satan gets us to the point where the very things that are he's using as tools to destroy us spiritually and physically, he makes them so appealing to us 
that we think that God is robbing us of the joy of life when God tries to help us to break free. Now, I don't see anything wrong with this. I don't see why I can't eat this. This is good. We have it at the holidays. This is a family thing. I mean, it's like this is what brings our family together. We just you can't take away everything that's good. You got to have some fun sometime. I don't understand why I can't have a good time. Why does God have to be a killjoy? <laughs> and God is saying, no, no, I'm not being a killjoy. You're being a killer. You're not just killing joy. You're committing suicide wow. with a smile on your face. Mm. And I'm trying to rescue you from the sure death that you're going through, whether it's a spiritual thing or a physical thing or whatever. I'm trying to save you. But I wait because right now <laughs> you're not ready to admit that this stuff is slavery. Wow. That's deep, but very real. Mm. And a family member drops off because of health conditions. We still continue doing what we're doing. Or what's, you know, we don't learn. You're supposed to learn. Because when I was teaching, I I always tell the kids, when do you stop learning? You know, people come up, you ask people when you stop learning this and that. And I always say, well, you you stop learning the day you die. And then what happens to learn, you learn from you. You know, you, you, the mistakes you've made, they should learn. But, you know, when we see, oh, they died of this and they died of that, and we know if we don't do what we're supposed to do, it will hit us as well. So that's basically what you're saying is, like, we're committing, you know, we're committing suicide and watching people die at the same time. And we as African-Americans, you know, back in the days of slavery and throughout, you know, the, 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 the 20th century, we were living under some very difficult situations. When, uh, when people of other races were able to get the best cuts of the meat and so forth, uh, all that was left for slaves or sharecroppers was the the dregs. In other words, the slave was not going to get the chicken breast, so the slave got the wing because the the master or the homeowner they they didn't want the wing. wasn't enough meat on that. They wanted the they wanted the chicken breast and the and the drumsticks and the, and the and so forth. The slaves and the sharecroppers they didn't they didn't get the best cuts of of the meat, so they wound up having to go with the pig's brains and the cow's tongue and you know whatever was left over, mm. tail, the intestines, the pig's feet. Because those are the things that were chopped off so that the good parts can go to the people who had the resources and the control. But the people who had nothing had to eat what was left. And so black people particularly learned how to make delicacies out of the garbage that was left for us. 
And we became, we came to the point where those things became identifiers of true blackness. If you don't like this, you're not really black. Even the way people have to dress, like to dress, the fashions and sagging and and all kinds of stuff like this. You know, in prison, you can't wear a belt. They're afraid you're going to commit suicide. Or you might sharpen a buckle and, and, and hurt somebody. So you don't have a belt. One size fits all. So what happens? You have to walk around holding your pants up because you don't have a belt. And, the, and, 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 and so what happens? Because that's so common in our communities and it's such now a symbol of manhood, what winds up happening is people walk around trying to act and look like they're heroes, people in prison. Mm. Wow. And so we make delicacies out of the trash that we wind up having to live with. We make something out of it. In a sense, that's a good thing because it says you've got a people who won't be defeated and who you throw them, you know, in other words, the old expression, you, you know, you throw somebody lemons and you, you make lemonade. But the problem is, is that when you discover that there is a way to live better. What we do is we say, I don't want to live better because this is the best. And mm. that's why I went into that section in the first chapter dealing with life at the landfill. <laughs> wow. You know, because that's, that's ultimately what happens in our minds a lot of times. We get to the point where we – we become desensitized to the evil that we are uh, that we're we're stuck in, and we we find ourselves trying to make some kind of hierarchy, some kind of uh, of class system out of life, uh, out of the disastrous kind of situation that we find ourselves in, and so we wind up fighting for the highest positions. At the landfill, mm. we, we wind up being jealous of each other. We don't even recognize that we're dirty anymore because since we've been in there so long, what we've now done is we find the uh, fine distinctions between different levels of dirty. <laughs> and I've now different you know, I'm levels of dirty like landfill. <laughs> you know, I'm saying I'm, I'm smelling like a landfill, but I don't even notice it. But I can tell you smell you smell really bad. I can see your problems, but I can't see mine. And so, you know, we, we get to the point where we become so accustomed to the landfill that, uh, that we, we, we forget that we need to be rescued from there and cleaned up. Mm. Go ahead, sir. Go ahead, sir. You're preaching tonight. Now, I'm going to get ready to pause, but I'm going to bring in – I want you to think about this now. Because you've been talking about it, but I want the listeners, because I want them to buy a book. I want, the, I want this book just to be, you know, overwhelming for people just to want to buy it. Now, he says, it is in this setting that the, that the Egypt took, took shape. Four things happened to the Hebrews during those 400 years of bondage that are significant for us today. Again, four things happened to the Hebrews during those four years of violence that are significant for us today. And before we take our break, I'm going to read you those four things, and then when we come back, we're going to 
talk about those four things. He said they had settled, they forgot why they were slaves in a place and they were in slavery. So you said they were they settled into the life of Egypt, no matter how bad it was. Cow tongues, you did talk about that. They forgot why they lived in Canaan before going to Egypt. They were slaves in a place where they weren't supposed to be, because we always end up somewhere where we ain't supposed to be. And they were in slavery so long, they lost touch with the possibility of freedom. Bondage became their new normal. And I made a note to myself, as we have our new normal today. And with that mm-hmm. said, we're going to transition. So we get, you know, take our break. And uh, notes from our supporters, a few notes from our supporters, Music and Structural Learners, Arts Academy, where the arts knows no bounds. If you love the arts like photography, dance, culinary arts, and art classes all online, then go to MeFile Arts Academy website, www.mefileaa.org, and check them out. Or call to talk to Dean Lavender at and get more information at 833-643-2563, extension 701. That's 833-643-2563, extension 701. And there's a new show that's coming out soon. I'm going to put her on the spot, but she can tell us a little bit, a little bit. I'm excited for none other than Michelle Johnson. She's coming up with a new show called Boss Radio Live NJ. So, Nishan, I'll put you on the spot. So, give us a little brief about this new show that's going to be coming out soon. Thank you, Kai. Well, Boss Radio Live is a new podcast that will be airing on Facebook as well as YouTube, uh, just discussing spiritual things. We're discussing life things, business and just how all of that interacts. We want to, all of that interacts with each other. And we also want to highlight some uh, local businesses, highlight some local authors and uh, some local events that will be happening. So the, the grand opening of my podcast will be occurring in a few weeks and we'll announce that. And uh, people will actually be able to come on uh, live and talk about the things that they're doing in the community or the businesses that are serving the community. Amen, amen, amen. And with that, we will take our break. We are on time. Um, we'll be back within three minutes, four minutes and 23 seconds. And um, as we're talking about Egypt, I thought this song, I looked it up, downloaded, put it in our queue. I thought this song would be appropriate. Break every chain. Break every chain, break every chain, break every chain. 
We are back live with the man in the mirror with Michelle and Kai uh, with our guest author who's going to be with us for the next 10 months to go as we go through 18 chapters of his book, The Good Work. We're going to do this series. We're going to talk about it. We're going to get, hopefully get these, we're going to make sure somebody get a book in their hand so they can read it, learn from it, and grow from it as we are doing. Again, that was um, Break Every Chain by Tasha Cosby. Because, look, we got to be like the Egyptians. We got to break these chains. They wanted to hold on to them, but we have to break these chains that are on our lives right now. And as I said before we left, we will be talking about um, the part where um, Don said that the Egypt condition in four parts they had settled into the life of Egypt, no matter how bad it became. They forgot why they lived in Canaan before going to Egypt. Number three, they were slaves in a place where they weren't supposed to be. And four, they were in slavery so long they lost touch of the possibility of freedom. Bondage became their new normal. And I actually wrote a note as we have our new normal today, but we're not going to, today in society. But we're not going. This is not going to be our new normal forever. So, um, Don, now talk to us, buddy. Talk to us. Well, you know, by the time Moses came back from Midian to uh, do what the Lord had commanded him to do, to uh, call on Pharaoh to let the people go, it had been about four hundred years since. You know, Jacob and his family had, had come to Egypt. So you can imagine that when Jacob and the family went to Egypt, they went with everybody who was living in the, you know, all the Hebrews. There were only about 70 of them. They, all the Hebrews, left Canaan and went to Egypt. So 400 years later, they didn't have any relatives back in Canaan. Everybody who was a Hebrew was living in Egypt, and by that point, 400 years, nobody who was alive at the time that you know Moses was beginning his work, nobody who was alive had ever lived in Canaan. So they were kind of a bit out of touch with what God, the way God had intended for them to live. And the fact of the matter is that uh, by this point, you know, they had become, for all intents and purposes, Egyptians. They might have been Hebrews, but if you asked one of them where they were from, they weren't going to say, I'm from Canaan. <clears throat> so, you know, they they had come to a point, and it's hard, you know, look. I'm from Washington, D.C., and the, the fact of the matter is, no matter – I've lived in a lot of places. I've lived in Indiana. I've lived in Alabama. I've lived in Virginia. I've lived in Maryland. I've lived in, in, uh, here in North Carolina. Uh, where I was born and how I was reared and – the uh the the cultural underpinnings of my life were in the washington d c area, and so consequently, no matter where I have been in my life, 
I'm still basically a Washingtonian in my mind. And so these people who grew up in Egypt, even though they knew historically that they were supposed to be going back to Canaan and so forth, that was not really – after 400 years, that really wasn't a reality in their minds. Egypt was as real as it got, and no matter how oppressed they were, the fact of the matter is they were living in the it country in the world at that time. No country in the world was more powerful and more prestigious than Egypt. So, you know, that's a whole lot that was inside of these people that God was going to have to try and get out of them. And so they had, uh, they had settled into life in Egypt, and it's hard to ignore all the gods, all the worship experience. It's hard to ignore the clothing. It's hard to ignore the, uh, the, 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 just the cultural you know, trappings of being in Egypt. You grew up in it. Many Hebrews grew up and died over 400 years, and it was just in the blood, and God knew it was time for a transfusion. Wow, wow. You know what, that, that speaks, and we're still, sometimes I think we're still going through these things today. Um, again, it's hard, but we appreciate, you know, just you explaining that to us. And um, Euro, God's purpose was not primarily to rescue their bodies from chains of servitude. God initiated a long process to create for himself a people who would be sparkling evidence of what happens to humans when humans become bonded to him in an unfiltered relationship of love. And that was deep. I just wanted to bring that in, you know, Mm -hmm. and I like that. An unfiltered relationship of love. A clean, something that is clean, something that has been filtered, something that has been through something. But as we move on, because yes. we're almost out here, getting started on the good work. And you wrote here, the Hebrews were ready to get out of the pain of slavery and go to a place of freedom. But they, but were, but were they ready for the life of, with the liberator? Uh, though the shackles yes. were broken from their wrists and feet. The shackles on their minds were still jewels to them. Egypt and its gods, evil pleasures and plain pain still ruled their thoughts. The Lord sought earnestly to replace Egypt in their hearts and minds with the kingdom of God. Speak to us about that, yeah. sir. This, is a, this was the hard struggle here because, you know, before you can be rescued from some place, you have to see that you need to be rescued. And they were, they were anxious to get to the point where they were not under oppression and that they could get to this promised land and be out from under the struggles of Egypt. But in reality, they still at this point didn't realize that they were really – in need of a rescue that went beyond just physical relocation. God had to take them out into the wilderness so that he could re-educate them 
on on life, on spirituality, on righteousness. He had to take them so that they could be set free in their minds because their minds were in bondage to the life in uh, in Egypt. But the same thing for us, and I think the, the key point that you you just read there was the thing about, but were they ready for life with the liberator? See, many people today are waiting for the coming of Christ. They're waiting for the event, but they're not preparing for life with the liberator. They're not preparing for eternal life with Christ. Because for right now, many of us who see ourselves as Christians are really kind of part-time with God. We, we follow him until he doesn't agree with us. And at that point, we just kind of shut him out, quote, enjoy ourselves, and then come back to him with a mouthful of empty praises. But God is trying to say, no, are you ready? Are you getting ready? Are you allowing me to prepare your hearts for a life with me? If you can't handle being with me all the time now, how are you going to be with me for eternity? You're right. If you you get worn out with spiritual things now, if you get bored with the word of God now, if you feel that God is cramping your style now, how are you going to live with him forever? The coming of Christ is not just an event. It's where God meets the people who now mirror him. It's where we physically come together after having been spiritually together here. <clears throat> so if I'm not it, spiritually it, with him, mm-hmm. it ain't going to work when he comes, when he comes physically. <laughs> mm. Yeah, you're right. And this is the funny thing that you wrote the stars and stripes forever in that part. Oh, it says, yeah. in fact, not many Hebrews at that time, if asked, um, if asked where they were, if asked where they were from, could have said Canaan. From that time that Abraham arrived in Canaan to the day the family left for Egypt was nowhere near as long as they had been in Egypt. The folks alive at that time were from Goshen in Egypt. They had no relatives, like you said, they had no relatives back in um, Canaan. They listened to WGOS-FM and watched the Pyramid Channel Burger Barrel. Barrel was a place to eat and air hot. Hoteps were the shoes you had to to have. Okay, explain to us that that parody that you just did. (laughs) Yeah, I mean, you know, it's just like... In other words, obviously they didn't have radio stations and stuff back then. But you know, if if they if 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 back then had been now, then yeah, they would have been listening to uh, the 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 hot radio station from Goshen, you know, WGOS, and they would have been watching, you know, they'd have been watching the Pyramid Channel right now, and you know, and they would have been eating at Burger Pharaoh, uh, you know, you know. 
you know, and they would be wearing air hoteps. I mean, they would be, you know, it's the hot shoe. It's the thing that, you know, they would be, they would be into it. They would be into it. It's like, yeah, you know, where are you from, man? I'm from Goshen, man. I'm from Goshen. And it's like, you know, it's like that was going to mean something. It's like, whoa, okay, you know. And they would have been making all the signs and, and wearing the clothes and doing everything that you do when you are from, a, you know, a big-time place. You know, I used to, I used to joke with my students, in, in, uh, and, you know, when I was teaching, you know, when we, I would just say, you know, it's so funny when you, when you talk to certain students and, you, you know, at the beginning of a semester, you ask them where they're from. And, you know, certain people, they would say the name of their place with this kind of almost uh, arrogance as if everybody knows that's the place, you know. So I was talking to <laughs> I would be talking to them and I said, so where are you from? And they would say, I'm from Charlotte. And it's like, oh, <laughs> you're from Charlotte, you know. And, I mean, it's like just saying it. And, and don't ask somebody from New York. It's like, I'm from New York. You know, and it's like, yuck. It's like, you had to know you were not talking to an ordinary mortal. You were talking to somebody from New York. And I think that people who were from, people who, if somebody asked these people, even though they were in bondage, slaves, you ask them, I'm from Egypt. Yeah, I live in Egypt. Yeah. We bad. You know what I'm saying? we get to the point where we actually find a certain pride in where we're from, from our culture and so forth. And we identify with it. It becomes our identity. And what God was trying to do here was something that was, could only be done supernaturally. He was taking a group of people who were acculturated, who were steeped in, who were, who were completely wrapped up in Egypt. It was in them. It was on them. It was around them. He was going to change their whole cultural bent from Egypt to the kingdom of God. And without his power and without his love and without his patience, it would have been impossible. And I felt that God did that for me. Right, because I I did not realize the depth of lostness that I was in, and yet he bore long with me and was patient with me and rescued me, and I'm ever grateful to him for his patience and his grace. Mm. Any questions or comments, Michelle? Amen. I, I was just thinking about how um, on I don't know what page it's on, but you're talking about how you know that that bondage or whatever they, that they're in was like a jewel to them, and it's, yes. it's like that our whole perception has to pivot because we have to see then we have to see God as that you know if we want to say a jewel or the goal. That that's the thing that has the greater value, but we just we can't see it because we're so 
stuck in the in the in the mire and and you know some of the filth and all of that and I I thought that was just really good how you were talking about our layers of filth and how we feel comfortable and we're we're even classes in our layers and all this you know like I mean it's, you know when you think about it it's ridiculous it's ridiculous it but that's where we but are sin makes you stupid sin makes you stupid <laughs> <laughs> I mean that's just the bottom wow. line. You're just going to go that far, right? And, You're just going to punch, punch. Yeah, because... Sin makes you because stupid. You, yes, <laughs> because you sit up here thinking that you are the one who is really smart. And mm. you're thinking that this whole thing, what God is asking you or do, trying to do, is stupid. And, you're, and, you're, and you're, you're, you're trying to find ways. I mean, think of how silly it is. We're trying to – we don't want to be on the outs with God completely. So we try to, like, keep at least a fingernail on him <laughs> so that we don't yep, lose contact completely. <laughs> but then we are hugging and holding on to Satan and all that he has for dear life. And then we're praying to God. Lord, save me from the consequences of the things that I love to do. Mm-hmm. You know, we drink, we get drunk, you wind up getting cirrhosis of the liver. Oh, Lord, save me. Oh, please, don't let me die. If you get me out of this, I'll be your person for the rest of my life. God says, really? Mm-hmm. Okay. Mm-hmm. So let me go ahead and work this miracle. Poof, there you go. Doctor goes, I don't know. You had cirrhosis of the liver yesterday, but today you're as clean as a whistle. I am? Yes. Oh, man, I need to go out and celebrate. I'm going to go get me a drink. (laughs) (laughs) Amen. That's exactly how it happens. Amen. That that is totally true. Man, you deep. You real deep with that one. All right. We forget. We're Christians and return to our angel. And that's what you just said. You said, why are are you a Christian? The reflex response to this question is, because Jesus died for me. And then you went on, his death deserves recognition. But why should that alter my life when nobody asked asked him to do it? Of course, we would never verbalize this blasphemous idea. And I'll say that again. His death deserves recognition. Why should that alter my life when nobody asked him to do it? Of course, we would never verbalize this blasphemous idea. So why did you write that statement? Because I think what's happening is is that, and I guess what I'm trying to get at here is, is that a lot of us are living this kind of almost false Christian thing. We know all the things we're supposed to say and not say. And we're thinking things about God and about salvation. And we feel like we're kind of almost under pressure to uh, really get emotional about Jesus on the cross. And many of us have been looking at this whole thing with Jesus on the cross, and we really aren't even sure why in the world did he get on the cross. In other words, I'm supposed to just understand that Jesus dying on the cross for me is this great symbol of love and that I'm supposed to now get completely worked up over the fact that he died on the cross 
and I'm supposed to give my life to him, whatever that means. And then I'm supposed to, you know, be, be uh, you know, completely transformed by the fact that he died on the cross. And I'm saying, what I'm saying here is this. You don't even know what that means. And that's why you don't, you, 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 you're afraid, though. You're afraid to admit that this means absolutely nothing to me. The fact that he died on the cross, I appreciate the fact that he did whatever the reason was for dying on a cross, but let's get real. You know, I don't – I didn't ask him to die for me, and people are just they're – not, they're not going to say this, but I know that people are thinking this. Why, why did, what, is, what did he die on the cross for? And, and, and what I bring out in the rest of the book, and I'm not going to go too deep in it because we're running out of time. But what I'm bringing out in the book is this. The cross has to do with God's law. Satan is working double time to try and get us to believe that God's law is against us and that it's evil. That it is our enemy. And we're in reality, sin is our enemy. Satan is our enemy. And what's happening is that we're getting to the point where we're saying, hey, look, you know, uh, what, what did, why did Jesus die on the cross? Why should, I be, why should I be concerned about that? What I'm concerned about is I'm just trying to live a good life and put a roof over my head. And that's what I expect God to do for me is to help me to live the American dream at least, at least, you know, take care of my basic needs. And so you telling me about the cross, that can't pay my bills. That can't take care of my, my family. And that's the way a lot of people feel, but they won't say it because they don't understand what Jesus really did when he died on that cross. And we don't understand the depth of sin in our lives, him there. And we, as we go through this and explore this whole concept over time, it's going to become very clear that we need to understand that Jesus came to vindicate his father's name and his father's character, which is expressed in the Ten Commandments. He paid the penalty that we should have paid. For our sins when he died on that cross. Amen. Well, we have just went through. There was a couple more pages I want to go through, but that was great. That was great. We have just went through chapter one of the good work. So those who we want you guys to go out there, get the book, support, learn, and be set free from those chains of bondage as we're all going through the book. Um, Michelle, you have any closing remarks? I just um, want to thank Don for for being on the show again and for agreeing to do this series. I think it's you know very important, and I I just love um, all the points that you're really bringing out of the book, and of course the way you bring it. You know, I think you're hilarious. So the way that you bring them out, um, and I I think that 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 mix of uh, kind of humor, sarcasm, and and just truth is, is what people need in order to really grasp and take hold of, of what you're saying here. So I just thank the Lord for your obedience 
uh, in writing the book and also for uh, being on the show. Thanks. Thank you so much. Any closing remarks, Don? Hey, man, you know what? I'm one of the happiest men on earth right now, and I've moved away from being one of the one of the saddest men on earth. And God has been so good to me. I, I can only just thank him for rescuing me. And we're not talking about 50 years ago. I'm just grateful to him. This month marks uh, the 49th year since I originally accepted Jesus. And uh, and I'm uh, next year will be 50 years that I've been in this thing. But during that 50 years, I've had my struggles, some serious struggles. And God is only now recently bringing me to the point where I understand just how much he loves me. And I think that's one of the things I want to make sure that during this whole series we bring out is that God loves each of us. Amen. Amen. And with that said, I'd like to thank all of you who have been listening to us and and sharing Man in the Mirror with our new author extraordinaire, Don Wood, as we went through Born in Egypt, Chapter 1, and um, the book. So guys, go out there, buy the book. It's on Amazon. I ordered it as soon as I heard about it. I started reading. I'm going to be reading chapter by chapter and learning more and more. I want you guys to support um, Don and as we all learn, we're all still learning. As long as we're on this earth, we are all still learning. And that's about it for tonight. It was a great talk. It was a great, you know, it's like having a book club. We are here talking about the good work. Uh, with that said, this is Michelle and Kai. And as always, we'll see you at the mirror. <laughs>